Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Peacock streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn. Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to an FA Cup victory special. I'm here with Alfred. Hello, Lolo. And I'm here with someone who is not Matt. We have Dan. Dan, welcome uh, to the pod. Hello. Uh, would you like to introduce your, uh, your Arsenal credentials? Funny Ars- story. Arsenal credentials. Um, I guess I often get mistaken for Olivier Giroud. She's probably uh, <laughs> that is no, not not that is not a bad true, thing. I, I could get away with it in this forum, I guess. Uh, no, Arsenal credentials. I guess my best Arsenal credential would be I once got hit for six uh, by David Rocastle. That's a good one. That's a really good one. And we never asked you what your credentials were. I have none. I, I'm just. I come from the same country as Kim Chelstrom. That's yeah. <laughs> strong. Kim Chelstrom. Right. So we've got plenty to get through uh, today. We've got the uh, the good. No, the great, the fantastic, the greatest. Uh, and then we've, kind of, then we've got some, some ugly news, but it's not ugly uh, for everybody in this room. Uh, but we'll go through the full spectrum of emotions, um, I'm sure. We'll talk about uh, the build-up to the greatest ever FA Cup final win. Um, then we'll talk about what that means for Arsenal moving forward. And then we'll talk about today's... Not so shocking news that Arsene Wenger is going to sign into a new two-year deal today because this will be coming out in your morning. And we'll talk about the impact of that and what that means for the next two years of Arsenal. But I do think even though Matt is not joining us this 
week because he's in London. I still want to do Matt's favorite part of the week, which is when we attribute the podcast, which I think is number 17 in this case, to a uh, to a player. And Pete, could you could you stand in for Matt here, maybe? I can. I don't think I can um, deliver some of uh, the, the historic references like Matt can, because I've got a terrible memory. Um, but we do have some classics on the number 17. Um, John Jensen didn't score a goal for a long time. It was a cracker when it came. Then yeah. we when we bought him off the back of uh, a goal that he scored in the European Championship final, right? An absolute screamer. We thought he was going to be unleashing him from the halfway line, and uh, yeah, it wasn't happened. Never quite happened. Uh, David Hillier, yeah, uh, the luggage thief, allegedly. 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 I've I've been on a podcast with him before. He's a very very nice guy, and very knowledgeable uh, about Arsenal and football in general. I really like him. Um, Emmanuel Petit, beautiful. What wonderful man. The the original Olivier Giroud, right? Sexy man. I think that was my favorite about the Hot Stuff song we played in the FA Cup preview um, special. I mean, just when she sings Emmanuel Petit in that song, it kind of like, he brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I, I, I miss that player so much. He was he was wonderful. How about Alex Song, guys? What did we think about Alex Song? He's a real Marmite player, wasn't he? He was kind of... <laughs> everyone <laughs> it. Everyone's like, no, it wasn't. No. It wasn't really a marmite play. Just, <laughs> just, just half right. Yeah. Just a, just a bit. Just a bit rubbish. Um, then Nacho Monreal. He had, a, he had it for like a season or something. Had it for a season. Um, Alexis. And then uh, the current uh, the current holder of the show. Now, this is a marmite player because we're all in the same WhatsApp group here. Alex Awobi. Yeah, that's a marmite What stats did he end up with for this season? Like, given all that playtime, I think he got like two goals and three assists or something like that. Maybe he bettered it to three goals in the end. But still, I mean, I mean, this this episode could be the Iwobi episode in terms of kind of like the weird mood in here and and was this the best week uh, in a long time or was it the worst week in a long time? I think we, I think we need to just dedicate it to Alexis Sanchez. We need him to stay on next season. So let's make this uh, the Alexis uh, episode. So I guess we should start by talking about what a fucking bonkers week uh, it's been. So if we go back uh, to the horror uh, that was Arsenal dropping out of the top four for the first time uh, under Arsene Wenger, um, Spurs Day Night Football. Here we come. How was it? Uh, how how was it for you guys with with the Spurs fans and their uh, and their banter? It was it was absolutely horrendous. And just the fact that they were all calling us Spurs <laughs> was pretty much the worst part of it. Uh, I never thought it would hurt that bad. Yeah, I don't really have any Spurs friends, <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it was it it was amazing. They were celebrating. Uh, celebrating winning nothing as progress and uh and i guess it's kind of what arsenal have done for the last um 10 15 or 10 years at least but it was pretty horrendous um, on that front and then the 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 realities that set in that we're no longer in the champions league i don't i wasn't i wasn't as upset as i thought i'd be but i thought it might end up in pushing arsenal menger at the door which wasn't quite right um but I do think that that had a big dampener on the build-up to the FA Cup week. And it was 
probably one of the worst build-ups to an FA Cup final I've ever experienced. I still dropped the money on the flight. I got back in on Thursday. And then I don't know whether it was Thursday or Friday night, but someone in the press dropped the uh, David Ospina was going to be in goal. And I don't know what you guys think of that, but I don't think he's the best keeper. And I thought with no defence, uh, having no Koscielny, no Gabriel, and then putting a spinner in goal, that was like the the death knell. But but I also seen that own in kind of like the confusion I, I was feeling as well, because I was almost happy to hear and see that because it, it would mean that we would lose so that we would get rid of Wenger. But then at the same time, I I knew in I knew that I wanted us to win, and I was going upstate to uh, the Catskills because it was Memorial Day weekend here with some friends who are not into football at all. And I knew when I was starting to look at like IT solutions on the PDF of the rental house whether they would have HDMI inputs on a television somewhere in the house and if I could bring a Chromecast so I could then cast my phone streaming the game at the right hour that I actually, I was very nervous about the game and I was just trying to um, to trick myself out of not caring for it. Uh, but I really, really did. And I thought that was, you know, the, the Ospina thing was, was horrible at first, but it also made me feel that I, uh, you know, I actually cared about the game and the results. And I was jealous that you guys had flown over for it. I, I don't think I've ever been less confident in a, in a final. Maybe, maybe the Barcelona final. I don't think there's ever been a final where going into it, I thought we had less of a chance. So I was probably the most relaxed I've ever been going into a final until the day of the final where the adrenaline kicked in and I thought we haven't got a chance. And then, and then, uh, and then the news of uh, Czech being dropped or injured uh, got me very relaxed again. And I thought we had no chance again. I, I read after the game that apparently it was a strategic move because Spina is quicker off the line and Murta Saka not being the paciest of defenders would need to have that sitting in behind him, which was interesting. That sounds like the best and most impressive post-rationalization I've heard all season. Who, who did that come from? <laughs> That's how we did case studies in advertising. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's never thought about the pace of the midfield, but he suddenly thinks about the pace of the goalkeeper. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's strange. And it, it, got, it got worse because then you started delving into our... I mean, I don't know whether you can call a cup final quite an away game, but it, it isn't in... Um, it's Tottenham's ground. Yeah it's, yeah, it's in Spurs ground. That's a really good point. Um, our, our away record against top 10 teams last season saw us win only one game, and that was against Southampton after their season was basically over. Uh, so that, that filled me f- full of dread. And when, but but there, was this, there was a glimmer of hope uh, before Chelsea switched up to the formation that we eventually copied. We did destroy them um, early on in the season. Mm-hmm. So there was, always, uh, there was always that hope. But... Um, but then just before kickoff, the uh, BBC interview with Wenger came out where he decided to lampoon the fans. Disgraceful. Said he'd never forget. It was like a, it was like a wife venting after she just caught her husband cheating. I didn't mind that because he suddenly gives a shit. And actually I watched the, the, the tunnel cam back and he's about as animated pre-game 
in a tunnel as I've ever seen. I haven't seen a lot of tunnel cams, but uh, <laughs> but he's actually like leaning into them, saying, "Come on, lads! Come on, lads!" Which I don't know if he's if he does that a lot. So whether it's if it takes the fans to really fuck him off for him to get up for it, I don't really mind what it takes. But I do think that might have had something to do with it. But but just the thing that he called it like an absolute disgrace, the way that he'd been treated. Still to this day, the, the toughest and roughest thing I've seen was someone holding up a piece of A4 paper where they plotted, like, you could tell that they'd, like, asked someone in the audience for a pen mid-game <laughs> to, like, write it. It was, like, that is his version of, like, disgraceful yeah. abuse, which I, which I still find hilarious. But if, if that motivates him, maybe if we had, like, a proper banner next season, then, uh, then he would actually, he could actually win the league. He, yeah, Arsene Wenger spent the last 10 years reframing what success was. Uh, and I think that he's doing an absolutely fantastic job of reframing abuse. So, and our banners are so polite. They're like, Thank, thanks for the memories, mate. Um, it'd be really nice if maybe you didn't sign a new contract yeah. and classily walked out the door. So, Clinton cards. <laughs> yeah, Clinton cards, fans, yeah. Um, so so the, build up, uh, the build up to the game wasn't exactly ideal. Uh, but then... But then on the day, what like I don't know, I don't know what happened. I think that that was arguably the best performance I've seen from Arsenal in eight years. That is a statement, uh, a statement and a half. But I I do agree that on the day when I saw the lineup, that's when I suddenly realised that we could do it because that was a, that was spot on. And if I would have picked the lineup before the game with what was available, it was. It was one of the few times this season where I felt that I think everyone agreed that this was the way to play it. And that 3-4-2-1 system uh, has really you know, become effective. And it feels like he's started to kind of meddle with it a few times with, with some, some weird choices. And I also thought it was amazing to see you know, that Oxlade was left wing back. For, he's never played that position in his life, but it also showed that like they believed in the system, they believed in having the right guys on the pitch rather than the perfect uh, person for that role, etc. And I really think that that was a team that was set up to win the game. I'd love to believe that. I think we got lucky. I mean, we played very well, but I don't think it was by design. I think that the, if, I think we could easily be sitting here going, well, of course, with the Spinier in goal, a guy who hasn't played all year in the middle of the defence, a guy who hasn't really worked out what his position is playing left left wing back um, with Danny Welbeck, who's the world's best striker who can't score goals. I think we might be sitting here going, of course we got thumped. So I was I was really, really unconfident uh, in, in, until probably the 10th minute when I felt, actually looked at the players and thought, they actually seem to know what they're doing. It was the first time I'd felt like the players actually had a plan. They actually it seemed to me like they knew what they were meant to be doing on the pitch. So that that did fill me with confidence. And I think what was great about the plan was you could have looked at what Man United did at home, where they stuck eight behind, uh, like eight eight at the back and defended, and then hit Chelsea on the break. But we kind of sussed out our own little plan. We we completely took Kante out of the game. Um, Xhaka looked absolutely unbelievable. I mean, I know that um, I know that Wenger had these problems at the start of the season where he thought Xhaka was a box-to-box player. Um, and he, he certainly wasn't, but 
he looked head and shoulders above above Kante, and he made him look like a very he made him look like Coquelin, if I'm honest. <laughs> Bit of a burner, but he got um, he he got well and truly taken out of the game, and he didn't he didn't really know what to do. Um, Ramsey ran for ages. What the the, the he ran the most distance of any player in a in a cup final. And uh, and and popped up with a goal again. His second FA Cup winner. Um, it all went it all went so well. I th- I, like the the formation was perfect. The fitness was perfect. I didn't think that we'd be able to last uh, ninety minutes playing at that tempo. The first twenty minutes happened, and uh, I was like, "This is this is exceptional." There's no way they're going to last it out. But we we batted Chelsea for the entire game. They didn't look interested, and that's a team that's been uh, on on juice all year. So. What what do we think? Uh, what do we think was different? Well, I have a little theory. You know, in the same way that Mourinho decided that the ultimate banter on Arsenal and Arsenal was to give us fifth and give us Europa League, I wonder if the Chelsea team and and Conte said, you know, what would be hilarious? Arsenal would probably stay if we gave them this match, and if we let them win, we have another year of him and. You know, would never have to consider them to be a threat, and we could probably pick Sanchez off them as well. Mm. And there, there was something about that which I, which I felt about them not turning up. But it was also interesting to see how we dealt with Conte. I mean, he is definitely the player that has gotten the most uh, unison uh, appraisal in the Premier League for the last two seasons, especially this season, where he's kind of accumulating from last season. He didn't look like a, a big match player. He kind of reminded me a little bit about Conte in the European Championships, and you know he 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 really wasn't there. I don't think it was a masterclass from us. I think he, it says a little bit about him as well. One thing that I felt was incredible about the game was when Ursel tackled Hazard. I never thought tackled. that I would tackled. And Hassad looked like he was hurt, like he'd actually been tackled, and it was he didn't just fall over. That I think that was like momentous for me when I realized that we could win it was because Ursel actually in some way turned up. Yeah. Then we, we can disregard the the missed chances from him and that he looks terrified of running at goal. He immediately tries to release it to someone who's really hard to find, rather than just having a go at it himself. Which is a diff. You can understand that that he he's low on confidence at the moment, but he did actually turn up, and I think Welbeck, Welbeck running around the pitch in the first twenty minutes was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, and it was the first time that I watched an Arsenal game in a long time when I held my breath and I was generally nervous, and I started to have those childish childish fantasies in my head about how I could metaphysically make the time go faster so that they would blow the whistle <laughs> stuff that I haven't you know thought about in years especially not with Arsenal and I actually felt that I just I had those you know those beautiful feelings that only football can give you uh, hoping that we would win the game and I was alone in that cottage that I mentioned earlier and I just screamed out yes uh, when we won like in a way that I haven't done in a long time as a fan it was it was incredible I wish you would have seen me I love how uh, most fans kind of dream of tripping up an opposition player when they're watching the game, or they get nervous and they just hope that someone kicks it out. And you're dreaming about being able to bend time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, but I, I was in the ground, and it was the same thing. It was eight, eight, eighty-two minutes, 
and then I look down at the pitch for four, for you know for fourteen straight minutes, and then look back up, and then it was eighty two minutes and thirty seconds. <laughs> like when it's uh, when it's United and they're one 0 up against Arsenal, and that clock just like races through. But when it's an FA Cup final, oh. and um, so an- another unbelievable performance, uh, and one that nobody expected was Per Mertesacker. I think there's a bit of a, a I, I didn't realise this. I kind of thought Permat Saka just became fit like last week, but he's been fit since February. Oh, really? And I think that, that that's very interesting. Like he, like Murta Saka, um, he's a leader. Uh, he talks to people um, on the pitch, marshals the defence. But like a man of that pace dealing with Costa and Hazard, he yeah. was, that was, that was the best FA Cup performance given the context I can ever remember. Yeah, I mean, really, he should retire now. Yeah, it's not gonna. It's, it's not gonna get any better than that. But it also raises the question as well, doesn't it? In the in, in the Premier League, um, that sort of experience, perhaps we've missed that. Mm-hmm. Mustafi isn't uh, isn't much of a talker, in my opinion. Koscielny, uh certainly isn't. We've had some pretty inept defensive displays, and you wonder whether Arsene Wenger might have called on him um, a bit earlier on in the year when things were a bit rocky. I mean, this could be fake news, but I heard someone say that it's the first time that Per Matzak has ever played in his professional career in a back three and that the German national team played a back three and basically changed it to a back four the f- when he uh, played his first game in that shirt because was, <laughs> was the game when they changed it. And he looked so comfortable in that back three that you almost got hope for next season. And you were like, we don't need new players. Mm. All we needed was was power at the back. That classic way that Wenger has, that he can create a new narrative for the next season that makes us, uh, you know, makes us think that things aren't that bad at all. It was just Per. It was just Per that we needed. So there's always got to be a conclusion of uh, of the back of this incredible cup final. And I've, I've got two that I want to discuss with you. Um, the first one, and we spoke about this on the last podcast, Alfred, but I think that cup final proved... The pound for pound, we have one of the strongest squads in the Premier League and we massively underperformed uh, because that's the second time this season that we've taken uh, Chelsea to town. So the big takeaway from that day is that you can get motivated for an Mm. FA Cup final, but you can't get motivated for Crystal Palace or Watford. So what what do we think Wenger can take from that game Moving forward, what's the what's the secret sauce? Do you need different staff, different preparation? Does Wenger need to be uh, under like in the firing line to motivate himself to actually want to go out there and win? Does he need to be incentivized harder? Like, what's the what do we think, guys? I think maybe he. It's only against the really big teams, the good teams, where he kind of sees it, sees fit to think of any kind of tactics, and. Even then, they're not usually great. But I think that, if anything, I'm just hoping that this final and this result makes him realise that actually if we do have a system that we believe in that is more than just we believe we're better footballers than the other team, that actually we might have, we might have more of a chance given that he's staying with the guy, the, the guy that's still at the helm. I mean, I, I, I was watching the game thinking, just imagining how optimistic and positive I would be if this was the first game of a new manager's reign. I was just sitting there thinking, wow. And I, I mean, we'll go on to what, what we do and don't think about Mr. Wenger. But um, yeah, I, I just thought that 
like it feels like there there is new energy to the team, but it could quite easily come undone. And we've just I just feel, feel like I've seen this movie before. And just before we finish this section, wasn't it unbelievable uh, that Spurs' greatest ever season was wiped out when we won a trophy in their new home ground? Absolutely amazing. And I'm not going to let you have the last word. Because, because if you remember my predictions from the last episode, I think I said it smelled of a Ramsey winner. So I got that right. You did. I predicted a two-goal win. Uh, fair enough, I said that El Nenny would score two two goals. And I also said that key to the game was going to be to actually coach holding in how to mess with Costa. And everyone laughed at me. But one of the first things and one of the most memorable things from that whole entire game was him basically giving Costa the banter of his lifetime. And Costa looked indignified afterwards and sad and terrified and Holding just became, I think he actually became a legend on that day. Yeah. And yeah, I just want to have that for the record books. Very smart. So I think that perfectly rounds up section number one of today's podcast. And we are trying to institutionalize a little section here where we take a trip down memory lane. And we've asked the super sub, Dan, to uh, share a Arsenal memory with us. Yeah, um, this memory Stamford Bridge sometime in the 90s, 90s. I can't remember exactly when. But um, we were losing to Chelsea. Uh, I was with two of my uh, Chelsea sporting uh, acquaintances. Um, and it's uh, it's Carnu's hat-trick. And in particular, the goal that he scores from pretty much the corner flag. Overmars, this is Schuka. Oh, and Carnu didn't want it there. At it. Well, it's broken uh, Kanu's way, and the who is right out of the centre. It's Kanu. What's he going to do? Oh! Can you believe it? He's so that was an amazing goal. I didn't actually see that goal because of that angle, and probably because I was amongst Chelsea fans, and I was quite uh, uh, scared of standing up and, and, and peering around too enthusiastically. But it was an amazing goal. Um, but on to, on to Wenger. So, uh, yeah, he's signed again. Um, how does that make us feel? I mean, I, on one hand, I admire just the audacity of the man. He's brazen. <laughs> it's, Isn't that fucking incredible? It's probably the most flair moment of the season. It's just an absolute fuck you. Um, and the romantic in me does want to see and kind of believes in this resurrection. But I just think maybe the rest of me thinks that romantic is an absolute twat. Um, so yeah, I'm conflicted. Um, I'm not. I'm not keen on him staying. But yeah, the kind of uh, the, the 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 bigger man that I'd like to be wants to be able to say I want us to win it with a guy that I believe in morally and I think is a nice guy. Um, that's kind of what I want to believe. That's, how, that's the fan I'd like to be. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it's uh, it's ridiculous. Pete, do you have any strong feelings on on today's news? I'm I'm actually dead inside. <laughs> I, I am completely dead inside today. I, was, I felt like I drank 17 beers yesterday, but I haven't. I'm just really really depressed. It's like the opposite of a breakup. It's like finding out you've. 
you've got someone pregnant that you didn't want to get pregnant and you know you've got to spend the, the rest of your life w- with that really bad mistake you made in the bar. Um, you got her pregnant in the bar. <laughs> I, didn't get, I didn't get anyone pregnant in the bar. But I, 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 think, that, I think that it's sad uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I think that you have to ask two questions about the manager of a, of a club that oversees a budget of, in a wage bill of 200 million a year, a club that's got another 200 million sitting there waiting to be spent on transfers. You have to ask, is it realistic that we're going to challenge for the Premier League? Uh, and I think if you look at the, the last three years under Wenger, um, his average points total is like 73.6. If you look at the three years before, uh, his average points total was 74. So he actually got worse. And then if you go back another three years from there, his average points total was about 71. So he's not moved the bar. He's not raised the bar uh, in the last nine years. You have to go back 10 years since the last time he broke 80 points. Um, you have to go back to Manchester United in 99 uh, for the last time a team won the Premier League on sub on sub eighty points. Okay, I, I hesitate to ask this because I feel like I might be goading. But how many of those recent years do you have to discount because he was rebuilding? So how many real years has he failed? Uh, well, I think that I think that you could say the the two thousand and eight season was a was a pretty damn good team, and it all fell apart due to injuries past February that Birmingham game. I guess, I mean, mean, post-rebuilding the stadium, how many years do we think we've had where you can legitimately say level playing field with the Chelsea's and the United's and the City's? I'm not sure that you can ever say that it's going to be um, a level playing field. Again, there's always going to be a team that's outspending Arsenal because we don't have an owner that will dip into funds. But I think Leicester proved uh, on on a paltry wage bill a couple of seasons ago that it's not all about... Uh, how much you spend it's about like how you think and how you plan so I I'm disappointed we can't win the league uh, we've dropped out of the Champions League in the last 16 every year for uh, the last seven years we're now in the Europa League the fans uh, are completely divided I don't even think it's divided just depressed 20,000 didn't turn up to Sunderland uh, we're falling behind United on commercial revenues it's on the back page of the Times this morning that Sanchez and Ozil both want to leave. Like, my my question is, like, what could the possible justification for Wenger staying be? Because I, I I can't I can't see a logical argument. There isn't an intellectual high ground to take here, other than it's just been here a long time. FA Cup. I mean, FA Cup, and also he does have the proof that new managers are costly and dangerous two clubs where they have been in charge for a long time. Like you can't, you can't, I don't believe in the argument. Look at all these teams that have done so well first season in charge, like Conte doing well with Chelsea is not proof that that works, especially not at Arsenal, because you can only basically compare that to Manchester United, where you've had a person in charge of everything for a very long time. So I, I think, yes, it would be different if it was a club that was used to managerial change every two seasons. And that was part almost of, of the club's DNA, where you have a backroom staff and a CEO and an owner who has that as part of their game plan, that you sack a manager if they don't win the league. 
we don't have that in place at Arsenal. Manchester United didn't, and they're still struggling. You know, to the board, Manchester United finished after Arsenal's worst performance in 21 years because they made that decision that we've that we're asking them to do. So, so I do think, I do think that I understand the board and Stan in keeping on, and the excuse that they got to give was the FA Cup. I don't think he would have stayed on if he hadn't won the FA Cup. No. So it's a ridiculously bittersweet moment that we got that victory and it gave the opportunities for every player to come out afterwards and urge Arsene to sign. I don't think that you can say... It's Alex Ferguson said, there's no, there's no proof that changing managers... Uh, brings success but like how many uh how many managers have been at their clubs longer than three years of late so i, I think that there's there's one man united didn't collapse because uh they uh, because of alex ferguson they collapsed because they hired david moyes who was grossly um out of his depth then they replaced him with louis van Gaal, who'd been a car crash uh, um, at Bayern Munich, and then they replaced Van Gaal with Mourinho, who was his love child. That's three terrible managerial decisions in a row. It's not. Mourinho came back to Chelsea and and won the league. Like I don't think the managers suddenly forget how to do their jobs in like three years. I think they forget it to do it over a period of twenty years, like what we've seen with Wenger. And I don't think you can compare Arsenal to anything but Manchester United where you've had someone who was in charge of so much. Like Chelsea and Manchester City and these clubs, to an extent, are set up to deal with managers coming and going, which Arsenal isn't, and Manchester United wasn't. I guess the question is always going to be not if he should go, but when he should go. It will absolutely have to go at some point. So I can't buy an argument that says he we can't get rid of Wenger because... We can't get rid of Wenger because at some point you have to go. I think what I'm hoping for now is that these are a final two years. He's accepted that and they're properly looking for a replacement. Hopefully somebody that either they earmark now in, a, in, a, in another league that they can, that they can, they can, uh, they can, they can sign up or, um, or that we have somebody brought in like a former player that can become that, that guy over the next couple of years. That's, that's the, the best I can hope. And actually, that's the thing that I think maybe Wenger does deserve. I have, do have sympathy with, with, um, with him more than probably most people in this room. <laughs> he, he should have not signed. And it is ridiculous that he did. He lives in a completely separate reality in a lot of different ways. This... The last time he signed should have been when the team started to prepare for him to leave. It would have been the perfect goodbye for him to to win the FA Cup. That would have been like the ultimate note for him to end on and go out as an absolute legend. He could continue to be involved in the club and everyone would have loved him and everyone would have said sorry for the for the pieces of paper that they had scribbled on in a couple of games and for, for allegedly have booed Bellerin and we could have moved on. But instead, instead he's signing on with no... He has shown no signs this season that he understands what's wrong. It seems like he still thinks we're two injuries and a player short from world domination. 
And we are, as, as you point out, Pete, we're just drifting further and further away. And the fact that he measures success on top four finish in Premier League and not in did we win Champions League or not, which all the other managers around him is, is worried about. Like, Pep Guardiola is not sad about how Premier League went for him. He's sad for how Champions League went for him. The same for for any other elite manager in the world. That's how they measure success. You know, Klopp is, yes, he wants to win the league, but he also wants to win Champions League. Conte's only mission next season is going to be to win the Champions League. And Arsenal, we're going to be in Europa League. And it's going to be even harder to prove that the the squad is not good enough because we're not going to measure it against the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich. We're going to play Seville and Deportivo La Coruña and some random Norwegian team. And Wenger is going to take that as hints that he's improving because we beat some random side. Yeah, I, th- I I think the whole thing is very depressing because it just says that we don't want to be a, we don't want to be an elite sporting club. And the, the worst thing for for me as a fan is like you, you, you don't have long on this planet. And I know it sounds really you know over the top and first world problems, but I don't want to spend another two years really not enjoying Arsenal. And I don't think it's going to get any better. And I think yeah. to your point earlier, Dan, it, we've basically signed Wenger to a new two-year deal based on two FA Cup games. Yeah. That's it. I mean, uh, again, the romantic side of me coming out. I, I'm more I'm more upset and frustrated that, not that we're not, I'm upset and frustrated that we're not, we're not as successful as we can be, but I think Wenger could always previously say that we, we enjoyed watching Arsenal, there was a good spirit about the place, and that there was momentum. And then even if we weren't winning, you felt like that we had a kind of a brand of football and you were quite proud to be an Arsenal fan in that sense. And you felt like, oh, yeah, the good guys are going to win. Um, and we're definitely the good guys. And at this point, I just feel like the problem we've got is not that, not just that we're not winning, but that we don't really have a brand of football. We don't really have... Um, I mean, it's just getting a bit boring. I think that's the thing. Like, I just feel like it's just a bit repetitive. Um, and he's not taking um, bold enough decisions and risks. I'd prefer if he was going to stay that he really ripped stuff up and, and, and went for it like it was a completely new club for him than to kind of justify the last three or four years by making small iterative changes that I think that um, probably if he arrived at the club freshly, he would make. So we have gotten to my favourite part of the week, which is the voicemails and the Arsenal opinions from all of you listeners. We are going to do a bit of a medley today because I think that everyone has pretty much the same opinion expressed in different ways. There's some sadness, there is some frustration, and there is some poorly disguised anger. But the most worrying thing, I think, is the indifferent tone that I hear in everyone's voices. But let's let's make this a little bit of a, um, of a moment where we can all comfort each other and at least we have each other. Hello, boys. Just reading the Grove. Flicked over to BBC Sport. Saw Arsene Wenger signed a new tier contract. I feel fucking sick stomach. And he's got the audacity to do that. He's absolutely disgusting. I think going to be absolutely riots from it. As soon as he gets that, I don't know how they're going to sugarcoat one. Cheers. I just honestly cannot think of one reason why Arsene Wenger should be given a new contract. Honestly, it's absolutely insane that Great, won the FA Cup, 
you know, happy day at Wembley. But honestly, there's no way in this world that Arsene Wenger, so much as I love the man. Hey guys, Timmy here from New York. One word, unreal. Right? In the top club of professional sports, I think it's simple. Right? You get one or two years. If you don't win, you're out. Hi guys, Tits McGee here. Um, primarily, I think Arsenal and Arsene Wenger have just buried us for the next five to five to ten years at least. We're going to remain irrelevant while he's here. Uh, another two years at least. Who, who's to say he's not going to sign on after that? So we're not we're not going to leave this podcast on a negative. We started on a positive, and we shall leave on a positive. So Arsene has signed a new two-year deal. But what I would imagine is going to happen is that there's going to have to be some sort of give and take uh, because Ivan Gazidis is, I'd imagine, still highly rated by Stan. And he's had his, he's had his backside spanked in front of the whole world and he's been sent to his room. Um, so I'd imagine that Arsene Wenger is going to have to show that he is accepting that it's been a bit of a shit show this season, that two good wins uh, in an FA Cup uh, don't mask the the terrible problems that we've had over the last three years. So there are a few areas that I want to talk about. Who is going to be the sacrificial lamb um, from Arsenal's backroom team first? So we've got uh, a few potential uh, outs. There's the, there's the dross. We've got Jerry Payton. Um, an absolutely terrible goalkeeping coach. He's overseen such talents as Fabianski, Almunia. He took one of the greatest premiership goalkeepers of all time and made him a bit shit. <laughs> Sorry, I would love that. I was like, guys, I have uh, signed for another two years, but Peyton is gone. <laughs> Peyton's packing his bags. We've uh, we've got Burrow. Uh, Burrow pre-match. I don't know how to say it. Um, made up. Yeah, I know the, the 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 Bosnian guy. No one's quite sure what he does. He's supposed to be the tactics guy um, who sits uh, sits in the nice seats in the director's box, overseeing uh, changing nothing every single game. Like he's been, he's had it away over the last few years. <laughs> let me tell you, we have a tactics guy that we that we've never before discussed on this show. This is fantastic. Yeah, we've got Steve Rowley, our chief scout, um, oh. who is not very good. And I understand that Rob Holding was signed by the Leicester scout that we pinched last year, so he might be a good lamb. Mm-hmm. And then potentially, and I don't really like going here, Steve Bold. Ooh. He's not part of the inner circle. How, but, tight, how tight is the inner circle then? Well, the, the, the inner circle, like Peyton, uh, Burrow, Rowley, um, and Tony Colbert, who's basically like a fitness first gym instructor. Um, <laughs> Like they're the, they're the tight knit. They're, they're the tight knit. Yes, yes. Okay. And Vic Akers? Ah, oh, you can't get rid of Vic Akers. <laughs> I when I went when I went to Arsenal for one of the press conferences, he was loading up the lo- loading up the van with like old boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have dirty kits for a season if he left. <laughs> yeah. I I would love that though. Like, guys, I've signed for another two years, but Vic is gone. Yeah. Or just move to another position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I, 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 you know, I don't know whether anyone's got any opinions on on, on what you'd like to see happen to the backroom team. Bit of a tough, bit of a tough, <laughs> bit of a bit of a tough question, really. Yeah, it feels a little bit deck cherry. I read somewhere that if he signed, that he's have to have had 
made a couple of concessions. And I do wonder if we might actually get someone else in charge of transfers. And hopefully that will be a new hire rather than a delegation to one of the people you just mentioned. Or if we're talking about um, strategy, you can take away or you can put back in. Now, taking away people that most of us don't have a fucking clue what they do uh, is, is one route, but I, I don't think that people are going to be like, oh, so, so glad Jerry's gone. Um, but I think we might get excited if Robert Perez came in as, um, as kind of a director of football who has zero, uh, zero input into the day-to-day. Um, there's, there's a lot of rumors about Patrick Vieira coming back over. Um, I would love that. That would be a, that would be a magnificently successful season if it involves ends with Patrick Vieira coming back to the club. Maybe Dennis Burkamp. Thierry Henry's burnt his bridges, and we know that Tony Tony Adams is probably never going to get set foot in the ground again. But what do we think about bringing in the old players? We like that. Yeah, I like that, and I think that's that's how Wenger will have approached that meeting with Kroenke. I think he would have said. If the failure the failures are down to me or us not having enough, and I can rectify that, I can improve. But you need to give me more. I don't think he's a guy that would have said I failed in any way. He he would have he would have knocked it back over the over the over the fence and said, uh, "You got to support me. You got to you got to support me internally. You got to shut you got to shut the board up when they're bitching about me, and you've got to give me the support that um, that Mourinho would get at Manchester United." If the news is today, because we recorded this yesterday, technically, that Wenger has signed on and that there's a transition plan that will end with Vieira. I think I'll be celebrating tomorrow. That'd and be great. I, and I actually think the next the next two seasons could be absolutely magnificent. And if Wenger's somehow twisted it to be not his fault, uh, and we don't agree with that, but that means that we get an extra... 60 million on top of the normal transfer kitty this summer to spend then happy days. Okay, I feel like the I feel like the hope just went up in the room by 30 or 40% just by that chat alone. So that's a good barometer. Okay, so um so we're settled. Um don't worry about firing people. Let's just bring in some of the old guard. Patrick Vieira would obviously be the ultimate. And I feel like if you let him in, he'd fire the fuck out of those guys anyway. Yeah, he did he'd have he'd have them doing Vic Aker's job with him. We'd have five kit men in the back <laughs> room. So, so that's, uh, that, that's one way of bringing some excitement back. Uh, how about we talk about contract rebels, or not even contract rebels, players that might not get contracts. So um, Santi Gazzola's contract's up this summer. Um, I don't think you can possibly give, uh, you can give that man another deal. He's, he's unfortunately broken. Um, he will get a deal, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd I'd be surprised after letting us down two seasons. Well, not him letting us down. He's his he's body. A, his body letting us down. It's sad that we're all kind of in our thirties, and you have to say a thirty-one-year-old is an old man. <laughs> but there you go. And uh, a bit of exciting news: Yaya Toure, he's gone. Not Toure, fucking Sonogo. We had Jesus. him. Yaya, we, under, we underutilized him. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would be the second Yaya that we've let go because we did let Yaya Toure go originally when he uh, came on trial with us. But then, um, then you've got next year's contract rebels. So we'll start with the two real worries because uh, they're making headline news today saying that they're going to leave this summer or leave on a free next summer. So we've got Alexis and Ozil 
Um, contracts expire in 2018. Then we've got Ramsey, who looked like a world-class player um, in the FA Cup final. We've got Wilshire, who's taken out that he's an Arsenal player from his Twitter bio. So read into that what you will. Uh, Ox, Alfred, who you said played in 17 positions this season. Well, 17, at least seven. I mean, he's the real worry for me. I think that Alexis is going to go. Ursel, if we get another marquee signing or a playmaker, I wouldn't be sad to see him go. Ramsey will sign. Wilshire might not. The real worry is Oxlade, because this season he played left wing, right wing, attacking midfielder, center midfielder, defensive midfielder, left wing back, and right wing back. And I think almost after all of those games, when he played a new position, we had praise for him. And he's been like the real hero for me personally this season, after Alexis granted, but I think he's going, as I said. And he's been one of those players that I know Klopp would love because Klopp is going to continue to run his players down the grind and he is going to need someone who can go in and play for Lalana, who can play for Mane, who can play for Chan or whatever. And it just feels like he's going to slip through our fingers after he actually had a really decent season. Dan, what do you think about Chamberlain? Yeah, I think he's been mismanaged. I, I think he's been turned into this utility player that kind of has seven half positions where he can always fill in, but he's never going to be first choice in in, in any position. Uh, maybe he'll become a first choice wing back. I doubt it. I, I, and I feel like for whatever, whatever the reasons are for that, and, and they're probably more down to management than they are to him, I don't know if we want a squad... I, don't, I, I can't feel that bad about a utility player leaving. Um, so I'd rather, if he was, if he was replaced by uh, a world-class player in any one of the positions he's played, I'd, I'd be happy with that. So um, if we continue down the list, Per Mertesacker, contract up next season, I think you'd have to keep him on after that performance in the FA Cup. Um, then it gets really worrying. Carl Jenkinson. No. Yeah, could be gone. Jenks. I know. And then the real killer, Matt Murray, reserve team keeper. <laughs> I was just going to ask, who, who have you explained? Yeah. And then, uh, so... Matt Murray. So, we've, so uh, we've, got, we've got some wiggle room to move uh, players on. And then you've got the, just, the, just the absolute dross that needs to go. Ospina, he needs to go. Not a good goalkeeper. Uh, Chesney. I love the way Matt Murray is better than Espina. Yeah. <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got Chesney, who's rumoured to be going to Napoli. Um, Joel Campbell. And finally, as we've signed this Bosnian guy, uh, uh, left back, Kieran Gibbs could be on his way. Oh, Gibbsy. I mean... <laughs> well, be James, ready, be James and Gibbs in one season. It'll Come be on. really interesting to see where Gibbs' level ends up being. Everton. You think? I don't think he's that good. No, you think he's good enough? Nah, I think he'll be down a division. Like a Stoke? Down a division. Yeah? Down a division? I think, he'll, I think he'll end up a Premier League team on this flip, and then he'll go. I don't think he's... He, how old is he? He's kind of 27. 20, 26, 27. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he has a fortune, though. Yeah, 70 he, grand a week. He's going to... Him and Jack Wilshere will be playing for Swindon. Yeah, so disappointing. The point that you mentioned about players having to do these half positions. I kind of feel Ramsey and Wilshire have both suffered that as well. Like the three of the British core um, never really nailed down um, a very, like a specific position. Mm-hmm. I thought, um, 
I thought Chamberlain looked great as a centre midfielder supporting uh, supporting Xhaka. Yeah, I love them. I, I thought they played extremely well together. It was only Ramsey coming back, obviously, for the last two games of the season in Everton and Chelsea, where he has looked better than Ox in that position. And it's clear that Arsene will always prefer Ramsey in that position to anyone else. But I, I, w- I just wanted to make a point in terms of like where Gibbs and, and Jenks could go. Huddersfield Town got promoted to the Premier League and they are going to be looking to strengthen the squad. And I'd love if we could become kind of like a feeder club for them. <laughs> David Wagner, good good manager. Very interesting. Uh, he was Klopp's assistant. Uh, would, would you rather have Wagner than Wenger? He'd do a better job. Um, and then... Finally, the thing that gets everybody excited and builds hope. Um, Dan, who do you think Arsenal need um, outside a manager uh, to compete next season? Where do we need to stock up? Assuming we 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 keep Sanchez and Nigel. I, uh, I mean, wait, wait, I, I, why don't you tell us where you, you think yeah, they're staying? Or going? I mean, I think that I think that Sanchez will probably leave and that Ozil will stay. But I much prefer it to be the other way around. I think probably like most people, um, I don't think Ozil's worth the the kind of protecting and imbalance that happens when he's not playing, when he's not really on song. So I would, if we're going to stick with the formation we've got now, which I think is a good formation, I would get a replacement for Ozil, um, who's a bit more consistent and doesn't have to be as good on the good days, but certainly not as bad on the bad days. And then I still think we need, you know, we do need that 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 number nine, assuming Welbeck's not going to suddenly find his scoring, his shooting boots, his scoring boots. Um, goalkeeper um, and a cover or a replacement uh, for for uh, Gabriel. And I think um, if then we can find, you know, somebody that on top of that, then a bonus. But you know, I think that's, that that would be a realistic summer for me. What would you think about Mares? Yeah, I think he'd. I think he'd be good. I think Maris for Ozil, I wouldn't see as the end of the world. It's kind of our level, though. That's a sad thing that you have to take a player who's got potentially a bit of a bad attitude problem. That's kind of that's where we're going to have to fish. But to be fair, Arsene Wenger used to do that, didn't he? Well, yeah, I, replacing Ozil with someone with a bad attitude problem it can't get much worse, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Alfred, who um, who do you want to sign this summer? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I what I'm. I haven't mentally shifted to the fact that we are going to have the worst negotiating position that we've had in a long time. I can't, you know, when we signed Sanchez, it was kind of on the promise that we were this new, exciting bet for someone to take. When we signed Ursula, it was a little bit the same. And I think that's when we had real momentum. And it was before last season, before the fairytale season of Leicester's, where we have the opportunity to really sign marquee players. Everything that I've heard since is the players that we discussed then, like signing Carvalho from Sporting, for example, he's now going to get picked up by Man City. And the Monaco players that we could have signed last season has already been picked up by Man City. It's going to be picked up by the others. So I'm just, I need to shift to this Europa League squad model where we're going to have to pick amongst kind of, you know, the Spurs end of the market and look at players who want to upgrade in Premier League that no one else wants and to find players who are willing to take a bet on us because they haven't really succeeded in big clubs in Europe. 
And I don't really know that market that well. I can't mm-hmm. say that I'm an expert in that level of players. I know the big names, which we're not going to get. I know all the prospects that we've been scouting for the last five years and didn't pick up that we're now not going to get. I don't actually know at what level we are now going to sign. I think the the picking up players that aren't doing very well at Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, PSG, and trying to s- sniff around their, uh, their, their, their bargain buckets um, to see what we can pick up would be a pretty good strategy. But I think not, not having a... Not having Champions League football would be interesting to see how that plays out when you don't have a very good manager as well. But that was the Ursel strategy and the Sanchez strategy. That's what we managed to do back then. Like we're not going to be able to pick up those those players anymore. But I don't think the impact of um, losing uh, what's, what's losing out in Champions League going to cost us what, twenty million because we've got Europa League. So I think we can still compete there because our TV money is so high. But. Um, I, I just think the big question mark is you go, you can go and play under a Conte because he's going to make you a better player. I think it's, and, and, and I'm being completely fair here. I don't know whether you think that going to play under Wenger makes you a better player these days. It makes you a more comfortable player, and that's that would be my concern in signing Amares. Like Conte would shake him up. Um, has Wenger got that fire in him or the ability to do that all season? So it's going to be very interesting. So I just want to say a big thanks to Super Sub Dan. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We'll definitely be having him back again. I want to say, <laughs> fuck you, Matt. <laughs> and I want to say a big thanks to Alfred, as ever. Thank you very much. It's, I think it's been a glorious episode 17, where we've had a good balance of extreme sadness and elated joy. And I want to say a big thanks to the readers, because that's, uh, that's uh, 17 episodes in. That finishes off the season. But we will be back. Uh, so make sure you share this podcast out. Um, I hope that you get through the Arsene Wenger contract really well and enjoy that FA Cup win because you never know when the next one's going to be. Thanks from us. Ciao for now. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.